Well, good morning. It is, it is good to be in the Lord's house this morning. There is something that is so incredibly freeing about the realization that um, if God doesn't do it, it is not going to happen. And everything in me, just human nature, sinful nature, whatever you want to call it, everything in me, I want to be responsible for making it happen. And I want to be the one to get the credit for it. I want to be the one to, to get the praise for it. And then the day comes when you realize I, I'll never be able to do it. And when I am able to humble myself, you know, it says in, in James 4, I think it's verse 6, and 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I'm thankful for the fact that Scripture says all throughout, it says that when we, when we cast our cares on the Lord, when we turn over to him, when we trust him with our concerns and our challenges and our worries, then he, he is strong enough to take those on and he will meet our every need. Um, and so it is my prayer that God's going to bless your church. That's my prayer that as you move forward, as the search committee uh, begins the search, that uh, you're just going to be able to come together as a church unified and enjoy seeing God do some great things in your midst. And uh, just thankful for the fact that God, he doesn't, he doesn't always promise to lay the whole road out, but he, he is faithful to give us one step at a time. And so I'm just thankful that he does that. Um, I, I do want to encourage you, certainly in light of last week's message, uh, preached on uh, unity, having unity, unity around the mission. Uh, you be praying for the search committee and be praying for God's wisdom and direction on them as they begin this process. And you all be praying that God keeps you unified uh, in this time uh, as, you are, uh, as you're moving forward. Now, I'm going to invite you, if you would, go ahead and take your Bibles this morning. And we're going to be looking ultimately in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10. Hope you have had a great day in the Lord. And, uh, and if I see anybody shivering out there, we may just jump up and do some calisthenics in the middle of a message. But, uh, but I, I think we're doing all right this morning. And uh, thankful, for, uh, thankful for you being here and us being able to worship together in, uh, in the Lord's house. And we're going to be looking in Hebrews chapter 10 um, here in, uh, in just a few moments. But as we, um, as we move in that direction... I want you to think for a moment about how that the Bible begins. Uh, we're, we're, of course, I have you looking in a, in a book in the New Testament, but just for a moment, think about the first couple of pages of the whole Bible there in, in the book of Genesis. And we find there in Genesis 1 and 2, it describes creation and how God brought about everything that, uh, that exists as far as the earth is concerned. And it's interesting to note that there we find this picture being painted in Genesis chapter 2 of, of God creating this garden, the Garden of Eden. We know it to be. It's a perfect place. It's a wonderful place. And, and God creates this man and puts him there in the garden. And we find that while there in the garden, he is given the responsibility of, of naming all of the animals. And, and the scripture describes there in that chapter that that all of these animals, seemingly, they file by. And, and after this has been done, we find that, that there in verse 18 of Genesis 2, again, you don't have to turn there, but, but an interesting observation is made in this passage of Scripture. It says this, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. Yes, there were all these animals there in the Garden of Eden, but... 
But even with them present, God concluded that it was not good. The man was still alone, and this is not right. And so it goes on and says that there at the end of verse 18, I will make a suitable helper for him. And so you know how the story unfolds. God causes Adam to go into a deep sleep. He takes one of his ribs, and he crafts the first woman. We know her to be Eve. And there that day... God created the first institution, and that is the institution of marriage. And I think it's important for us to note that uh, certainly marriage has many purposes, but one of the reasons, one of the primary reasons God crafted the institution of marriage is because it is not good for people to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. That's what comes right out of Genesis chapter 2. And In light of that, I want us to be able in our minds for just a moment to leave the first part of the Old Testament and and travel into the future to the first few pages of the New Testament, if you will. Because now we, we don't find, as we did in Genesis, we don't find the man Adam arriving on the scene. Instead, we find, as the Apostle Paul referred to him, the second Adam coming onto the scene, and we know him to be Jesus. And Jesus, we find referenced here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. It tells the story of Jesus. And we find that Jesus, in those Gospels, he ultimately is arrested and crucified, and he is raised from the dead, and he ascends into heaven. And as the book of Acts begins, we find that the church is created. And this is the second of God's institutions. He first created marriage at the beginning of the Old Testament. Now in the book of Acts, he creates the second institution, and that is the church. And though there are a lot of reasons why the church is important and why the church exists, I contend before you today one of the primary reasons God has given the church to his people is because it is not good for believers to be alone. It is not good for believers to be alone. And with that in mind, we come to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking here in Hebrews chapter 10. And look here with me in verses 24 and 25. Let us consider. Let us consider how we may may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider how we can spur one another on. Uh, I think I mentioned last week that I have, I have three kids living at our house. There, there are kids. There, I have a 17-year-old son a 16-year-old daughter, and as of next Sunday, a 13-year-old son. And so have these three teenagers living in our house, and so uh, we, we are highly blessed to have them. I can remember my, my daughter, she's 16 now. I can remember about 15 years ago, maybe a little over that, I can recall she was not yet one year old, and, and she wasn't walking yet. As a matter of fact, she was still in the crawling phase. She crawled everywhere she went, and I can recall I was pastoring at that time over in the, in the Fort Smith area of the state, and it was October, and I don't know if you recall this or not or knew this or not, but traditionally October is what is referred to as Pastor Appreciation Month. Okay, so that's a time to, you know, say something nice to your pastor, be nice to your pastor if you're not nice to him the rest of the year, be nice to him in October, that kind of thing, all right. And so I can remember while pastoring, I had a lady in my church gave me a gift during Pastor Appreciation Month, and it was a tube of summer sausage. 
Now, nothing says we love you, Pastor, like a tube of meat. Okay, so y'all, y'all remember that. Uh, so she gives me this gift of summer sausage, and, and I have it there at the house. And I can recall one afternoon I'd, I, had, I had some of that out, and I just got a paring knife, and, and uh, I, was, I was sitting in the living room, and I was just slicing off little pieces of it and eating it. And, and my little daughter, not yet one-year-old, she sees me across the room, and she crawls over to where I was, and she, she stands up there at the couch with both hands on the couch, and she loved summer sausage. She put a hand out for that summer sausage, and so I cut off a little bitty piece of it, and I was just about to give her a piece, and, and all of a sudden, a, a thought crossed my mind. I got up from the couch, and I, I took a couple of steps back and just kind of held that piece of summer sausage out there like that. Now, I didn't whistle or anything. I just, uh, I just, wanted, to, I just wanted to see what she was going to do. I assumed she would, you know, drop down to her hands and knees and crawl over to where I was, though I knew she had it in her to walk. I just knew she chose never to do so, and so... So there she was, she was eyeing that piece of summer sausage, and lo and behold, if she didn't pivot right there and take her hands off of the couch and make a couple of real uneasy steps toward me, and being the great dad that I am, I took a couple other steps back <laughs> just to see how far she could go, and she kept coming, and, and I kept backing up until I was all the way across the living room, and, and I couldn't go any further, so finally I gave her that piece of summer sausage and I kid you not when I say that is the day my little daughter convinced herself that she was able to walk and she never, she never went back. She walked all around the house. And isn't it amazing to note that, that all it took was a piece of summer sausage to get her to cross that threshold. <laughs> she was spurred on. We, we knew she could do it. We knew she had the physical capability of doing it, but, but for whatever reason, she had just never embraced the notion that she was able to walk until that day when something clicked and she was inspired to do it. We find here in verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Let us consider how we can spur one another on to live out a life of love and good deeds. God has called us to live a life of faith. And I stand here before you today acknowledging and so thankful for the fact that we do not have to earn our, our salvation. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm telling you, the rest of the world's religions, you can look them all over. You can study them thoroughly. There is only one faith that professes the fact that I will never be good enough. There can never be enough that I do to earn God's favor. And that is the faith we found that is through the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in His Word. And I'm so thankful that I don't have to stand up here today. Can you imagine if I stood up here today and said, All right, now listen, you may think you're doing good enough, but I'm telling you, you, you can't be too sure, so you'd better do a lot more good because that cosmic scale of justice at the end of time, you don't want to run any risk. You better get out there. You better give more away. You would better be nicer to people than you were last week. All these kinds of things because we just hope that in the end our good outweighs the bad and we make it into heaven instead of being condemned to hell. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the fact that that is not the good news message that we find on the pages of Scripture. I'll never be good enough, ever. doesn't matter how long I live, I will always deserve hell. But it is through faith in Jesus Christ that I have been redeemed, saved, transformed, given a reason to live. And I'm so thankful today that as we find this verse of Scripture saying, let us consider how we can spur one another on to live out a life of love and good deeds. 
This, this life of love, this life of good deeds, it doesn't come in an effort to gain God's favor. It comes as a result of what God has done in our lives. It is my privilege to get up out of bed every day and to live the life that God has for me, not to try to please Him, but because He has transformed me and given me a reason to live. And so that is our purpose. That is what God has called us to do. So now, 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 with, with that as our understanding, we don't have to earn it. We're living this life because God has called us to. Now we think about what verse 24 is really saying. Let us consider how we can spur each other on to live out this life of love and good deeds. We need to give some consideration to how we can help other people live out this life that God has called Christians to live. And how do we do that? Well, the answer in part is found in verse 25, where it says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. All right, so we're supposed to spur each other on to get out there and live the life God's called us to live. How are we supposed to do that? By meeting together. We are supposed to come together, and in so doing, we're going to spur each other on to live out the life God has called us to live. What is supposed to happen when we come together? It says here in verse 25, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, or you may have memorized it, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. So there were some folks there in the church of this letter that has been written that had stopped coming to church. That's, in essence, what's happening. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, All right, let us not give up meeting together, but when we meet together, what are we supposed to do? Middle of verse 25, it says this. It says, let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if you were to, this week, if you were to stop and, and be filling up your vehicle gas tank at the gas station or if you were to go to the grocery store or some, somewhere else, maybe you're at some other place throughout the week, and, and you encounter somebody, and they say, hey, you, uh, you're a member at, there down, down there at Wind Baptist Church, aren't you? And you say, yeah, I am. And they said, now, you, you go to that church every Sunday, don't you? Yeah, I do. I show up every Sunday. And if they were to say, why on earth do you do that? Why would you give up a, a weekend day to, to go down there and, and uh, do that week in and week out? I mean, we can kind of imagine what our answers would be. Probably the first answer we would give would we, we, we come to worship? And, and certainly that's right. That's very biblical. We gather together for the purpose of worship. And, and isn't it good to be able to worship with other folks? I tell you, sometimes we go throughout the week and feel like we're, we're in this by ourselves, but we are able to come together and declare the greatness of God. So it's good to say we come to church to worship. The fact of the matter is, if the only time you ever worship the Lord is when you're sitting in this room on Sunday morning, you are not worshiping God nearly enough. Listen, the God that has saved you from your sins and gives you reason to live and is going to save you forever and ever, He deserves our worship all throughout the week, not just on Sunday morning. Now, it's, this is our time when we come together as believers and worship corporately. You need to be worshiping God throughout the week. So maybe they would ask you, hey, what's another reason you, you come to church on Sunday morning? And you might say, well, I, I go down there to, to study God's Word. And absolutely, it is essential. We wholeheartedly believe in the truth of God's Word. 
and we want to proclaim it and study it together. And we have time together, Sunday school or Bible study groups, life groups that meet together and study the Word of God. And it's true that we come together for that purpose. But let me say to you, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if the only time you ever read the Word of God is sitting in this room on a Sunday, you are not getting the Word of God nearly enough. You need to be studying it throughout the week. I mean, we are living for Jesus now. We're not living for ourselves anymore. Jesus is our King, and we learn how to live for Him through His Word. Let me encourage you to be reading it throughout the week. What does this passage say the goal of meeting together is? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us what the, what the purpose of meeting together is, and that is to encourage each other. Okay, so we're supposed to come together every week for the purpose of encouraging each other. It's interesting to note that um, there, there are, of course, the Bible talks a lot about singing. A lot in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament. There are several references to singing, a handful at least. And certainly one of those that we know well is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, it, it references psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that's what we do. We gather together and, and sing praises to the Lord. You know, you, know why, you know part of why we sing those according to verse uh, 19 of Ephesians chapter 5? Here's what that verse says. Speak to one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Even in our singing, we're not only honoring to the Lord. Even as we sing, we're supposed to be doing it for the purpose of encouraging each other in our faith. That is a significant part of why we gather together. And you know what the fact of the matter is? The fact of the matter is people may come to church initially because of the worship. I mean, you ever walked out of church and went, man, that was awesome. That worship was powerful. Rex, I appreciate you this morning. appreciate you leading us in worship. God is a great God. We, we love worshiping Him. And you walk out of there going, man, that was a powerful time of worship. People can come for the worship. They may come for the preaching. When they, when they first come to church, they may think, man, that, golly, that, that preacher, he just he pre proclaims God's word with such power and authority, and I'm so touched when he preaches, and they start coming, and they just enjoy those messages. But you know what the reality of the situation is? You can stay home and watch on television preachers that are a whole lot better than I am. Now, you can, be, you can watch preachers on TV that are a whole lot worse than I am as well, but, but there, are, there are a lot of them that are a whole lot better than I am. And, and you, can, you can, throughout the week, flip on your radio dial, and, and, and you can hear people praising God through song, and, and, and they're professionals at this. So I can, throughout my, throughout my week, I can, I can listen to Christian music, I can hear godly preaching, and I think what's important for us to understand is we as a followers of Jesus we're supposed to do that together but but they may come for the worship they may come for the preaching but ultimately that's not why they stay people don't stay for those things you know why they stay they stay because they're encouraged they stay because they are spurred on to live out the life God has called us to live they stay because they have friends at church that love Jesus and are encouraging to them and, and have built relationships with them. You ever, you ever known somebody who didn't stay? You ever known somebody? I can remember as a pastor, oh, we'd have somebody walk the aisle and 
they'd join our church and and we'd be so excited, you know, thank, we're so glad that they have joined our church. And then, then a few weeks or a few months pass, and before you know it, you're, you're missing seeing them some. And they, before you know it, you see them once a month. And before you know it, you see them three or four times a year. Before you know it, you're only seeing them at Easter. And then before you know it, you don't see them at all. And, and, and you, I can remember so vividly assessing that situation and realizing these folks don't come to our church anymore. And, and in the preacher world, we would call that the back door, people leaving out the back door. And so if you ever hear preachers talking about this issue, they refer to it as closing the back door. How do we close it? Because people are slipping out and we, we, don't even, we don't even know why they're leaving. That's, that's often how that's referenced. But why do people slip out the back door and not, not come back or get out of the habit of coming? Well, as a pastor, I would sit there and go, I'll tell you what, it's a shame those people aren't more committed than they are. I tell you, they joined our church. It's a shame that church isn't more of a priority to them than it is. And, and they ought to take that more seriously. I can remember saying that so many times. And then I had an experience that forever changed my perspective on people that, that I would lump into that category. I can remember um, at the church where I'm a member now, fantastic church in the Benton area. God has just really had his hand on it, and I'm thankful to be a part of it, but I can remember one spring, a uh, spring slipped into summer, I can remember a, a young lady coming to our church. She was 21 years of age. Her name was Jessica. Jessica started, she showed up on a Sunday morning, and she'd never been to our church before, and, and, uh, and she came back the next Sunday morning, and she starts coming throughout the summer. Matter of fact, She's not just showing up on Sunday mornings anymore. She's, well, she's showing up for Sunday school. She's coming back on Sunday evenings. By the end of the summer, she's coming on Wednesday nights. Okay, she is all in, all right? So she is, she is fully embraced being a part of, of the church family. So it was somewhat of a surprise to me at the end of the summer when on one Sunday morning she walks the aisle at our church during the invitation and tells our pastor, I need to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I never have. And so right there at the conclusion of the service, she gave her life to Jesus and turned from her sin and trusted him as Savior and Lord. Praise the Lord, it was glorious. A few weeks after that, she is baptized. She becomes a member of our church. All right, she is, she is all in for the Lord. And I can remember one Wednesday night, we have a meal at our church on Wednesday evenings. One Wednesday night, my family and I, we'd shown up early. And, and there's Jessica, she's sitting at a table, it's real early, not many people there, she's, nobody's sitting at the, other, at the table with her yet, and so I got my food and I said to my wife, I said, hey, let's, let's go sit with Jessica, I've got a couple of questions for her. And so we sit down, and we'd gotten to know her a little bit over the course of the summer, and, and I told her what I, what I do, okay, so I work at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, alright, it's hard to explain, I think I mentioned last week there's about 1,500 Southern Baptist churches in Arkansas, and so I, I'm on staff to assist those churches however I can, specifically in the area of discipleship, really, discipleship, evangelism, helping people get plugged into their church. That's just the kind of thing that I do. For example, I'm driving down to Arkadelphia tomorrow to talk with a pastor over lunch about personal evangelism. So that's, that's the nature of my work. 
So I sit down with Jessica there, and I said, Jessica, and I explained a little bit about what I do. I said, I've got a question for you. Okay, now you came to our church as a first-time guest back in the late spring, and over the course of the summer, you've gotten plugged in. Ultimately, you made a profession of faith in Christ. You've been baptized. You're a member of our church. You have done this, this whole spectrum here. And I just, I've got a question for you. Having, having been through that whole process, what has that been like for you? What, what do you feel like? What have you learned from this process now that you've joined the church? And she stopped eating, and she looked at me, and, and she said, all right, you really want to know? I said, yes, ma'am, I do. She said, to be perfectly honest with you, it feels like they've closed the sale and moved on to somebody else. If you happened to be at my church this morning, you, you could look over those people that are sitting in that room, and one who would not be there is Jessica. She hadn't been to our church in about four years. Oh, it started slowly. No, didn't see her, and a month would go by, not see her. I was there on an Easter one day. We saw her, saw her across the sanctuary. My wife and I spoke to her at Easter. She doesn't come anymore. And all I remember used to what I'd do is I'd look at Jessica and I'd go, it's a shame she's not more committed than she is. It's a shame it's not a priority to her anymore than it is. You know what the real shame is? It's a shame that she felt like we closed the sale on her. Got her in the books, got her baptized. All right, let's set you off to the side. We don't have to spend any time on you anymore. Let's go after somebody else. And she was all alone in her newfound faith. And she doesn't come to our church anymore. I think it is important for us as followers of Jesus Christ to understand the priority of encouraging each other in our faith. It's not just about the singing. It's not just about the preaching. It is about spurring each other on to live the life God has called us to live. It's not good for believers to be alone. He hasn't called us to do this in isolation. Let us do this together. We need to assess church. We need to be able to evaluate what we do in the life of the church. I think it does us well to be able to evaluate what we do in Bible study time before Sunday morning worship and what we do in worship and what we do on Sunday evenings and what we do in the middle of the week and all of our activities. The question is, does it encourage? Does it spur us on? Are we excited about living out the life God has called us to? There's a lot going on in people's lives. Busy raising children, stress at work, problems in marriage, financial needs that you're facing on a regular basis. The church should be known as a place of encouragement for believers. What if, I know, I know that we come to church thinking about a lot of things, okay? You, you've probably got out of your vehicle today thinking a, a lot of different things. Maybe if you're, if you're active in church as far as leadership is concerned, you came to church thinking about your responsibilities, you may have come to church thinking about the problems that you've had this past week or the problems that await you this coming week. Now, you, you may be sitting there thinking, what are we, what, what's mom fixed for lunch? Or how much longer is this pastor here? How much longer is he going to preach? I don't have a clue what you're thinking this morning. 
what if, what if when we got out of our vehicle and made our way toward, toward, toward this building, what if, what if our prayer was, Lord, use me to encourage somebody today in their faith? Use me today, not just to, to get through another day at church, use me today to spur somebody on to live out the life God has called us to live. It's interesting, the verse of Scripture here, it doesn't say we're supposed to spur each other on to attend. Hey, we do that, all right? Hey, you need to get back in church. And sometimes the Lord can use that, but that's not what this verse says. It doesn't say spur one another on to attend. It says attend so that you can spur one another on. So I came to encourage you this morning to encourage other people, other believers. The fact of the matter is we don't gather on Sundays to complain Covered that last Sunday, all right? You ever complained before in church? Oh, yeah, I'm a professional. Okay, so you may be. We don't gather to complain. We don't gather to endure. We gather to encourage. We gather to encourage each other. And I am genuinely convinced that encouraged believers are going to worship God with their whole heart. Encouraged believers are going to crave God's Word with their whole heart like they never have before. Encouraged believers are going to want to get out there and share their faith because they know they're surrounded by other believers who are going to spur them on. And so let me encourage you, let me encourage you even right now to be thinking about praying about someone that God is going to have you encourage in their faith. Maybe even before you leave this place today. God's going God's to put people on your mind. You can encourage them face-to-face. You can shoot them a text, a Facebook message. You can send them an email. You can write them a note. You can call them on the telephone and talk to them. I'm telling you what, God has called us to encourage each other to live out our faith. This is something we need to get in the habit of doing. Back in 2007... The Encouragement Foundation. There was a foundation at Harding University called the Encouragement Foundation. And they, in an effort to determine how to help encourage people, they came up with a, a day of encouragement, a campus-wide day of encouragement. Then they, they pitched it to the mayor of Searcy as an idea there in town. And, and the mayor of Searcy, in August of 2007, declared a citywide day of encouragement. Find somebody and encourage them. And ultimately, it was presented to Governor Beebe. Okay, it went so well on campus and there in Searcy that, that they presented it to Governor Beebe. And, and on September the 12th, 2007, Governor Beebe signed a resolution making that the statewide day of encouragement. And though I don't really remember it, uh, it went so well. I, didn't, I did a terrible job. I apparently didn't recognize it or encourage anybody, but... But apparently it was such a great idea that it ultimately made its way onto the desk of President George W. Bush. And that year, President Bush signed a declaration making September the 12th National Annual Day of Encouragement. So, did you send any cards this past September 12th? Not a, not a one, probably. It really is the National Day of Encouragement, September the 12th. And while that's a good idea in principle, I stand before you this morning as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and contend Christians don't need a national day of encouragement. 
every day, but for sure every Sunday is a day when we come together and encourage each other to live out the faith God has called us to live.